radio advertising is good, why should you advertise on the Tam Talk Radio Network, AM 1340? Well, it's simple. We are a local radio station with local shows that target our local communities and local listeners. We have a variety of shows that cover a multitude of informative and interesting topics, such as automotive and boating, real estate and finance, health and medical, politics and law, sports and fishing, pet care, and more. Why, we are even home to Imus in the Morning. We also have shows about comedy, food and dining, religion, fashion, local community events and activities, and a variety of music. Talk radio provides a listening format that appeals to a large cross-section of people. Whether you are in your car, at work, at home, everyone has a radio. And we are streamed live on the Internet. And past shows are podcasted so you, the listener, can play back your favorite shows over and over again. The possibilities are endless. So that, my listeners, is why you should advertise on the Tam Talk Radio Network, AM 1340. Professional race car driver. Since 1967, Bob's experience on the Grand Prix and Can-Am circuit, as well as the 24 hours of Daytona, has given him the expertise he needed to turn from professional driver to teacher. Now Bob teaches high-performance driving at his school in Sonoma, California. The basic theory taught at Bob's school? Complete car control. That's what this story is all about. Complete car control. What it is how it works, and why it can make anyone a better driver. Bob teaches that tires are really the only thing between the driver and the road. What we teach at the course is complete car control no matter what you're driving, whether it's a sports car or a sedan, pickup truck, van, no matter what it is. Uh, you read the car through the contact patches or the tire patches. There's four tire patches, of course. That's all you have between you and the highway. So. You want to read what that is, what that's telling you. It goes from the tire patch to the suspension, up to the chassis, from all four wheels, up to the seat, and then the steering wheel, and then of course down below here are the pedal. And you want to be able to feel exactly what the car is doing. So if you turn the car, say, to the right, the weight transfers over to the outside, the left front tire picks up the uh, major tire patch and gives you major adhesion. But you want to learn to read this and feel what the car is doing. The students spend 20% of their school day in the classroom learning the concept of complete car control. The rest of the time is on the track. The Dodson 510 you're looking at has endured more than four and a half years of this at the Bob Bondurant School of High Performance Driving, Ontario Motor Speedway. If a Dodson 510 with minor modifications can take this kind of abuse that long, who knows how long a new 510 will last out there. Drive a Dodson, then decide. Hi, I'm Bob Bondurant. What's on your bucket list? Looking to fill your bucket? Pop the clutch and feel that same adrenaline rush that every racer feels on race day. Bondurant School of High Performance Driving specializes in individual and group driver training. Put your team driver in control with one of our exciting team driving courses. Cart classes and corporate team building programs available. Check us out at 1-800-842-RACE or visit our website at bondurant.com. Okay, listeners, welcome, and you are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and we got a great show for you tonight. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Anyway, we got a super, super, super guest coming on later this you afternoon. Mean a super, super guest. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, hey, couple updates here. Let's see what we got going on. Oh yeah. Hey, this weekend is the twenty-four hour at Le Mans. Okay, so be sure and watch that. I think that starts when the sixteenth, right? So make sure you're sitting home watching that. I think there's an F one race uh, next weekend. But anyway, hey, let me tell you about our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com. I'll tell you what, we got that thing working. I have to give all the credit to my son Bobby because he's uh, done an excellent job. So. Google GolfStreamMotorsports.com. Check out our website. Be sure and go to our events page because all the goodies are on there. Okay. And then, of course, check out our About Us pages. That gives you all the information on what we do and about our appraisal service and diminishing values and things of that nature. Uh, check out our snapshots. Okay. We got a lot of cool vintage pictures on there. We got a lot more coming. Okay. Uh, we got a little bit of a uh, what we call a. Um, 
Well, Nostalgic Radio and Cars page, you can go check that out. That gives you all the information on some of our sponsors and our podcasts and, and a list of all our guests. Okay. Then, of course, we have our, uh, let's see, what do we got here? We got, uh, oh, yeah, Project's Gone Bad. Hey, that's a couple of cars that just didn't quite make it, and they're sitting in somebody's garage someplace, and they needed to be fixed. Okay. Then we got Project's Gone Good. Those are cars that run and drive, and uh, they sold. Okay. And you know what? If you guys want, you can list with us. Your car for sale, we'll let you consign it, and there's a small fee. But what we will do is we will read it out loud on the radio, okay? And we can describe it. So you give us a list of uh, information on your car, and we'll talk about it right here on the radio, okay? We might even let you call in. We'll do that on a special show. Anyway, let's see what else we got. Okay, then, of course, we have Nostalgic Auto stuff, okay? We got our hats that are going to be coming out soon. We've got shirts that will be coming out soon. But right now, if you want, for 5 bucks, you can buy one of our fancy snazzy decals okay and then of course you've got uh links and on our links page is the number of people that have either been on our radio show they're friends of ours or sponsors of ours in fact i want to give a big shout out to my friends over at vintage motorsports okay you want a really cool magazine that brings you up on all the information going on on all the vintage motorsports racing going on worldwide okay we're talking about what's going on in the far east the mid east and england and europe and right here at home in the united states so uh run to barnes and noble or go to their website vintage motorsports Motorsports.com, or just give them a call, 1-800-626-9937. That's 1-800-626-9937. And order the magazine, the subscription, okay? Not to mention our friends over there at Heacock Insurance, okay? If you need some classic car insurance, give uh, Pete Darkuzzi a call over there at uh, Heacock Classic Car Insurance, 800-678-5173. That's 800-678-5173. Don't forget my friend uh, Dom Forte, who's been on the show before, okay? Forte's Inboard and Auto Connection, 727-544-6440. That's 727-544-6440. Hey, Bill, what do we got in a turntable. Are you going to drop the needle on something for us? Find a little groove over there, play some cool music? Alright. Jazz for you, ladies and gentlemen, this evening.
listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. Hi, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you'd like to play golf, Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course, and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars Wednesdays at 7 p.m. All right, we're back, and you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And, hey, like I said, it's just about time for our special guest. But in the meantime, I'm going to tell you about some of the other stuff we got going on. I was talking about the website, okay? And, of course, for you, all you golfers out there, hey, give the guys up there at Magnolia Valley Golf Club a call because they've got $6 off uh, promo going on right now if you get there before 11 o'clock in the morning. So $6 off for each, I guess, round of golf. So give them a call up there at actually, 727-847-2342. That's 727-847-2342. Hey, I'm going to welcome another sponsor, a new sponsor, and a longtime customer, and a friend of mine. My buddy's down there at Just Tires. Okay, Just Tires is located down at 1645 Clearwater Lager Road. So if you've got a flat, or if you need a spare, or if you need a new tire, or a special order tire, my friends down there, Terry and Russell can get you a super deal on tires. Give them a call down there at 727-585-9271. That's 727-585-9271. Now, a little bit on the uh, on the other side here. Those of you guys have been around the area, myself included, Fletcher's Harley-Davidson is been around for a long time. In fact, when I first got my very first form of motorized transportation, I went to Fletcher's Harley-Davidson. This is back when they were located on Missouri Avenue uh, down in the Largo side, probably where the Largo post office is right about now. And uh, the gentleman that sold me my scooter was Bob Fletcher and Gail McFarlane. Okay, Gail is married to Bob's daughter, Peggy, and I've known the family for a long time, since the early 70s. But unfortunately, Bob has passed away here in the last week or so. So what they're doing, the Fletcher family is planning a celebration of life on Saturday, June 16th at Largo. Okay, what they're going to do is they're going to have a motorcycle procession from Fletcher's Harley-Davidson up on US-19. It's going to start around, I think, 11, 11.30. They'll be gathering there, okay? And then what they're going to do is they're going to have a whole group of guys, the motorcycles, ride down to the uh, Anona Methodist Church in Largo, okay? So... All I'm telling you guys is, you know, if you guys are big fans of Harley-Davidson and if you're a friend and a customer of uh, Fletcher's Harley-Davidson, join in the ride, preferably on a motorcycle, and uh, wear a Fletcher's Harley-Davidson shirt, anything you got, even an old nostalgic one, okay? So uh, my condolences to the family, they're friends of ours, and uh, good luck, and hopefully he's riding a big Harley in the sky. Anyway, hey, Bill, we just about got our guest on the line. We do. Oh, wow, because this gentleman is an extremely fascinating guy, and he's very much a legend, okay? So you ready to go?
capitals of Europe comes the exciting drama of the men and the women who live the passionate adventure of Grand Prix racing. James Garner, Eva Marie Saint, Eve Montan, Brian Bedford and Jessica Walter, dramatic new stars Antonio Sabato and Francoise Hardy, Toshiro Mifune, and the world's champion Formula One drivers. Now, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, director John Frankenheimer, and Cinerama take you out of the grandstand and hurl you into the most exciting experience of your life. Okay, we're back, and we're live, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. As a matter of fact, if you go to your internet right now, you can catch the back half of this show, the bottom half, as they say. Google Tantalk1340.com, and we are streamed live on the internet, as well as all of the lucky guys who get to hear us live here in the local Tampa Bay area. But anyway, now it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. Not only does he run one of the most well-known and probably best racing schools in the world, he was also the 1965 world champion racer it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show this evening bob bondron bob are you there did you get to hear the intro oh i did that was fantastic okay i ground pretty well in fact i raced that uh, that ground free and finished fourth you finished fourth hey yeah. well, now wait a minute now not only did you race at that grand prix but weren't you a technical advisor on that movie set for the movie uh, yeah absolutely a technical advisor i trained james Gatter and um the other actors as well, and uh, we shot um, what we had as a script, and then after the race, then uh, they filled in the race where uh, the uh, script didn't catch it, and John Frankenheimer did a fantastic job all every single uh, race, F1 around the world, wow. Now, was there actual racing going on, or was that just pretty much staged in terms of a movie? So did they, they actually used actual racing cl- clips for that movie? Yeah, because uh, we all ran in those races, and I was at Monaco. Uh, but during, uh, during the week prior to the race, then after the race, uh, Phil Hill was a tactical advisor also, and uh, the part where uh, Garner went off, into the the water, and um, the second place guy he, uh, hit the wall. That's a similar accident. So Phil Hill put together the different actions that had happened uh, throughout the Formula One seasons, and uh, that was in the script too. And then Phil drove the camera car during the race. I was doing the race, but uh, the way they put that whole thing together was. Amazing. And uh, my wife <laughs> happened to see that movie. She was much younger then. And thought, wow, who's that first guy on the stream? I want to marry him. Well, we got married uh, two, uh, two, a little over two years ago. <laughs> so, so the whole thing, Grand Prix did a great, great uh, job for well, both of us. Well, that's good. Now, by the way, say hi to your lovely wife. I had the good fortune of meeting her at, uh, at Amelia Island. Of course, you and I had lunch for about an hour there. That was a great time. I really appreciate that. Well, I will tell her for sure. Okay. Now, the, yeah. the part you're talking about when the Formula One car went in the water, that was the Monaco Grand Prix for, during the movie, and that's when James Garner flew into the water right there in the bay by the harbor, right? Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, tell us a little bit how you got started. Now, I know you started your you you raced, I guess, motorcycles for a while, then uh, a couple of sports cars, right? So, tell us about the motorcycle racing. I did uh, flat track racing. That's on uh, dirt ovals. And back in the day, we did not have brakes, so you just you learn how to really race. And during uh, the racing, racing handlebar to handlebar, wheel to wheel. One time, I was coming up to pass a guy. 
we locked handlebars for a minute. So I backed the throttle off quick, back on and off, and shook loose of them and went on and kept going racing. So back then, racing was the way to get the motorcycle races, the way to get into car racing. Today, uh, most of your uh, top drivers uh, went to uh, go-kart racing. In fact, we have uh, Bondurant Supercarts. Uh, here we have uh, races and the whole thing at the, at the school. But I... Uh, I did that, and then I got interested in uh, sports car racing, bought a little Morgan Plus 4, thought uh, I could afford to do that, which you find out first off, you find out what you think you could afford to do, and then you find out you really can't afford to, but you figure it out anyway. And when I bought the Morgan, I asked the uh, the dealer, I said, uh, could you sponsor me? He said, well, no, but I'll, I'll sponsor you in parts. So... Um, I got part sponsor, and then I won from a uh, board and stroke TR2, and uh, then uh, I was doing well there, but I wanted to win overall. So I bought um, a 1967 uh, uh, or 57, 57 Corvette that won the championship the year before, and I uh, went on, and 1959, I won 18 out of 20 races. And... Um, that was fantastic. That got me started, and then uh, I had uh, raced uh, alongside Carol uh, Shelby in different races, and I got to know Carol really well. And uh, then he told me one day uh, he retired from racing. He had some heart problems, and uh, he was going to build a Corvette beater. And I said, uh, "B.S. <laughs> never, never do it." And in those days, in the Corvettes, uh, we ran uh, 35 cars. There was fiberglass fine. I mean, it was wild. It was, it was wonderful. And lo and behold, he built a Cobra. Billy Cross was the first one at Riverside Raceway. And uh, blew us all off. And we thought, oh, my God. The handwriting was on the wall. But uh, my Corvette at number 614, it was a really good one. And they could, could almost beat uh, David McDonald, who was another Corvette driver that was really good. And, and uh, he joined uh, Carl Shelby racing the Cobras along with Ken Miles. Uh, River, at uh, Pomona Raceway, uh, the last race we both ran uh, with uh, me and the Corvettes and he and the, uh, the Cobra, uh, I caught him but couldn't quite get by him. Now, to celebrate uh, Carl Shelby's 50 years of uh, the Cobras and uh, all that, we're doing that all over the U.S. And at Pomona, uh, three weeks ago, we did the first race, and I haven't raced in 10 years, uh, but I have a GT40, and I raced that and won the race. Uh, wow, that was exciting. And uh, honored uh, Kyle Shelby uh, to my win. He was still alive, but he was in the hospital. And then, unfortunately, Kyle uh, passed here recently. And uh, we all uh, got together. It was about 1,200 of us uh, a few weeks ago. And, uh, and different people got, especially by his, talked about uh, his life and uh, different things he did and having fun. But one of the things that uh, Carol said, uh, someone asked him, what's the greatest thing with, in everything you've done uh, in your life? What did you like most of all? He said, winning the World Manufacturer Championship. And uh, I'm the one that won the World Manufacturer Championship for, uh, for Carol Shelby and Ford. And doing that, I did that in the uh, Cobra Daytona Coupe. And in that process, um, uh, Ferrari had never been beaten in that. And uh, from that whole thing, I got a message from uh, Enzo Ferrari to come to meet with him. And I did that. And uh, he gave me my first Formula One ride at the U.S. Grand Prix in 1965. And then I signed on with Ferrari in 66 to do all the long-distance races. But I ran Le Mans with uh, Dan Gurney in 1964 for my uh, first time I ever been to Le Mans. 
Dan had been there four times. You know, I said, how many times did you win? He said, you know, the car always broke down, so I never won. And uh, so we uh, we ran together, and I said, can you do me a favor? He said, I don't know. I said, you drive, if you drive a little bit slower, and I drive as quick as I can smoothly, I'll bet we can win. <laughs> yeah, well, if I can do that. That's so all. He went flat out the first 20 laps, and uh, then settled down. And uh, we won. What we won, we beat the uh, the beautiful Ferrari GTOs. Fantastic car. They've never been beaten before. So we beat them with the Cobra Daytona Coupe. Good old American horsepower and car. Well, now take us back to the 1964 at Le Mans. Okay. Now, was that the first race that you competed in in the Daytona Coupe in Europe with that car, or did you run some of the other tracks? Oh, actually, uh, that was the first time in the, uh, we had two cars there, and um, the car just got built in Italy and sent it over to Le Mans. It had never turned a wheel, and we were very fortunate that the car ran really well. Uh, we had one problem at 4 a.m., and all the cooler broke. We never, uh, never I mean, you never break an oil cooler, but it happened. So we had to uh, by, bypass it and run a little bit slower. And uh, I, I drove the last stint, and uh, we were doing really well, but every time I saw a red car coming up, I thought, oh, God, I hope it's not a Ferrari GTO. It was a prototype. And the last, the last half hour, uh, I was running, and the third-place Ferrari pulled off somewhere around the track. And then the second-place car pulled off, and then uh, the first car pulled off, Ferrari. And uh, they were having problems, and they were trying to save the car and finish the race. Uh, there were many laps ahead of, ahead of us, but I thought, wow, are we going to win overall? And uh, no, we did not. Uh, but at the finish line, uh, Shelby never told me or any of our mechanics, you don't cross the finish line flat out. <laughs> <laughs> so the Ferrari uh, looked at must have looked at their watch. The race ends at four in the afternoon, and they had already won the race first, second, third, and we came in fourth. But when we came by the start finish line, the spectators were already coming over the wall. And I thought, holy crap, we've got to break down shifts to make sure I get stopped. <laughs> I don't want to win and run over spectators. <laughs> but we, we got it all sorted out. It was what a fantastic feeling. Then in uh, 64, we won. Uh, every time the car finished, we won a race. And we did hill climbs, and hill climbs over there are like eight miles long and uh, up through the mountains. I'd get up at 4 a.m. and drive up and down the hill, use the whole road. And uh, when the uh, spectators or the people who lived up there started coming down the hill, then I'd go home and go back to bed in the hotel. But I would draw the, the uh, hill out. Uh, uh, all the different corners. I knew the car well, and if I knew the uh, the road well, I figured we could do well. And I, every hill climb, I beat Ferrari's uh, hill climb champion, been champion for a long time, uh, Ludovico Scarfiati. We uh, later got to meet each other, and uh, it's funny, we looked a lot alike. People thought we were, were brothers, <laughs> but we weren't. We were friends, but not on the track. <laughs> when now the hill climbs were those roads paved roads or were they gravel roads that you raced on over there? No, they're all paved roads. Uh, no guardrails in those days. Yeah, any of that. Uh, and beautiful hills, beautiful mountains. The uh, second year in '65, the last hill climb I ran, ironic, uh, was uh, it was uh, right by Hitler's uh, hideout. And uh, the people, I'll let you know that. You know, it was kind of eerie, uh, but uh, we won again, and it was great. Well, now, was it this was, in Birch's Gardens there, up there in Germany? There what? Was this in Birch's Gardens in Germany, where you had the hill climb then? No. 
Yeah, right next to it. Oh, okay, no kidding. Interesting. Um, now, those, now, what kind of preparation did you have to go through for hill climb racing? Was it a little bit different? I mean, you know, because you're talking narrow roads, and you're talking the hills, and you're talking some altitude. Uh, how did how did you uh, prepare for that? Well, that's why I, I got up at 4 a.m., drove it up and down in my VW. <laughs> Your VW, okay. Oh, I had to thank Cobra and uh, the understeer through this corner, oversteer through that corner, uh, <laughs> and I had to put it all together. But it worked out really well. How long did the hill climb races last? Oh, they're only like um, maybe five minutes. Oh, really? Uh, that's, that's pretty quick. You, you go flat out up the hill, and the first one we did, uh, you get uh, two uh, practice runs up the hill, and then you do two runs uh, for, t- for time. And uh, I did well the first uh, time up the hill. And the second time we heard it was raining up above, so uh, the uh, Ferrari was um, uh, ahead of me, about uh, four cars ahead of me. So he's going to hit the rain. I'm going to hit lower. Yeah, I went up that hill as quick as I could go, got sideways about three or four times, saved it. And I thought, oh, God, I just blew it. So, but I won, so he screwed up more than I did. Yeah, but, you know, when you race in Europe, it rains a lot, and you have to learn to race in the rain. And you do that, and then uh, from the Cobras, uh, I always wanted to race Formula One, and I was able to get in that Formula One racing, too, while I was over there. It was fantastic. Great, greatest time of my life racing in Europe, because everyone over there loves uh, racing, and they love Formula One Grand Prix. The now you basically come out of sports cars, and now you got a chance to ride and drive an open wheel Formula One car. Would it be fair to say that you know it's kind of like IndyCar over here in the United States, but it's kind of like Formula One seems to be like the pinnacle of racing. Period. I mean, granted, IndyCar is great, you know, and it's what a lot of people in the United States aspire to. But overall, on a world level, would it be fair to say that F one is probably the 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 highest uh, level that you can achieve as a uh, an accomplished race car driver. Oh yes, it really is. It really is. And Formula One today uh, is a lot safer. They're 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 faster. Uh, the tires we have, we didn't have uh, wings or any of that uh, back in um, in '65, uh, '66. Uh, so we had to work real hard. Now you have uh, cars are a lot safer. Uh, you got, got uh, wings, uh, everything, more grip. I would love to jump in uh, one one of the, the Formula One cars today and just do like ten laps and see what it's like. They're fantastic. What are some of the the tracks that you raced in Europe that you really truly enjoyed, both F1 and in uh, road racing? Which- well. The uh, Nürburgring is my first, my best, um, my favorite uh, road course, and it's uh, 14 miles long. And uh, I set a lap record there in 1965 that lasted 15 years. Usually, a lap record goes and you get beats uh, the next race, but the track is uphill, downhill. I mean, it's fantastic, and I love. Um, I mean, it's a Spa, Belgium. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a real road course on regular roads. Uh, Reims, France, uh, where we uh, won the World Manufacturers Championship on the 4th of July, are real uh, roads and highways. Yeah, like Le Mans, actually. Uh, it's been uh, on real uh, local roads. Only in the last probably 15 years, um, they changed some of them in uh, mainly... And the pit straight is wider and uh, very, very nice. The Le Mans, you have a four-mile straight. And uh, in the cover, we ran uh, 197 miles an hour down the most on straight. 
Then the next year I drove a Ford GT40 and I ran 212 down the Mulsanne straight. Nowadays the cars are faster and they have put two chicanes in the, in the straightaway to slow the speed down. And I like to kid uh, uh, friends of mine that are racing Le Mans now, uh, Darren Long uh, and uh, Johnny O'Connell, two of my past instructors that are back working with us. And they've run Le Mans, and they had um, three and four drivers uh, doing that. And I, I said, you know, <laughs> when Gurney and I did that, just the two of us did that. Yeah, and it was it was wonderful. God, you guys takes you four guys to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I love to tease them, crack up on them. But um, it's like it's uh, it, Le Mans is the one race like winning Indy in Europe is winning uh, Le Mans. Okay, and I was fortunate enough to do that. The the Nurburgring, would you say you can get almost as Top speed, reach the same top speed on a Nürburgring rig as you can at Le Mans on the back uh, Molson straight? No, no, no. You don't have uh, very long straights. Okay. Most of the Nürburgring is uphill and downhill. Yeah, left turns, right turns. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a very difficult um, track to uh, to uh, to run. And, but I raced there with the uh, Cobra Daytona Coupe uh, where we won. Uh, and then also I raced Formula One there uh, as well. And a lot of the same tracks you race Formula One on, we also race sports cars on it. And, but uh, I, I love uh, Monaco, probably the best. Uh, you're racing on the streets. I raced there four times. And uh, during the, the, the movie Grand Prix, uh, I was racing there. At the end of the race, I finished fourth. So that was fantastic. How about Targa Florio in Sicily? Did you ever race that track? Oh, yeah. That's, that was my very first race in Europe, the Targa Florio. It's, um, it's 42 miles long, and there's just under 1,000 turns uh, a lap. And the race is six, uh, six laps long, and I was teamed with Phil Hill. Yeah, fantastic driver, fantastic guy. Unfortunately, he passed here uh, a little over a year ago. That I learned so much from him. But I, and Shelby was not going to send me there. He said, it was too difficult. You'll never learn it. I said, Carol, send me there, and I will learn it. So I went there two weeks early. I drove it every single day, eight hours a day, seven days a week. And um, when... Uh, uh, when uh, Kel Shelby and Dan Grady and Phil Hill and Jerry Grant came over to to run the race, uh, they had me go out first. You get one lap uh, to to qualify. Well, it turned out I knew the track so well, I was quickest. And they sent Dan Gurney out, and uh, he wasn't as quick. But after I did mine, he sent Gurney out. A second time, he had raced there before, and he uh, he was a little bit quicker than I was. But uh, fantastic track. He had raced through uh, three villages, and uh, when I was practicing, uh, I used all the road. <laughs> and in the morning, in uh, this one village, uh, you see the, the horse goes out with uh, uh, two or three uh, mules, and then they come back in the afternoon, and they'd uh, you know pick up like hay, and now that mule was as white as a car. <laughs> and I'm coming around a corner, and I'm like, holy crap! There's all these mules, uh, and I was using the whole road, so I had to uh, slow down and get by them. I knew about what time they do that every every day, and then I was passing two trucks. Um, I thought I was passing one. And uh, all of a sudden, I saw a second truck, and the other one's coming up the hill. I just barely made it by, scraped the uh, right rear fender on his front tire, left front tire. And then uh, the uh, the day before uh, practice starts, uh, or the day practice starts, uh, uh, by then we had a, a rally car. It was much quicker. And... Uh, 
Uh, so I was the first one. So I, I went flat out through these three villages and back turned the car over to Jerry Grant. And he was trying to do the same thing. Unfortunately, he never came over early to learn the, the track. And he comes through this one village, the second village, and it was really funny. The whole uh, street was blocked with, with people. <laughs> and he came to a stop, and this one guy comes up there to the car and, and sticks a double-barrel shotgun in the side of his head, says, you know, go fast or you die. <laughs> he, he was really scared, and he was looking for me, <laughs> and I was right back to the hotel. <laughs> and he came out, and damn, you never got me killed. <laughs> now, but that, that that track is uh, it is incredible to ride uh, the target for you. I would say it is the diff- most difficult track in Europe, and that was my first race. No kidding. Now, what car were you driving? What car were you competing in back then? Oh, I had uh, two eighty nine Cobras, okay. the Cobra Roadsters. Okay, and they were perfect for that. And uh, I was uh, co-driving with Phil Hill. And then Dan, Dan Gurley and Jerry Grant uh, uh, co-drove together. Okay. And Shelby was there for that race. He was also there for the uh, uh, Nürburgring the first year. And uh, the, the track to Spa, Belgium, is a very, very fast track. It's all road, normal roads. And... Uh, the, was there the first year with the uh, 29 Roadster, and then we're racing against the um, the uh, Ferrari GTOs. Ferrari GTO is a more aerodynamic, of course, and they draw, drive right by you. But I was also in a different class, uh, over a three-liter class, and I won my class. And every time I won a race over there and up on the podium, uh, what I was saying to myself, I said, uh, this is a win for all of you back home, and we're going to keep beating Ferrari. And uh, the second year, of course, we won the World Manufacturers Championship. Tell me a little that, bit about. Tell us a little bit about the driving characteristics between the Daytona Coupe and the Cobra on a normal road course. Now, obviously, on a high-speed course, the Daytona Coupe, you know, far exceeded the uh, speed capabilities. But how about the handling characteristics? Were they similar between the two cars? Uh, the uh, Daytona Coupe was a little stiffer chassis, so it handled better, too. Okay. Yeah, being a Coupe. really close. Main thing is the aerodynamics. Okay. Yeah, big deal. When uh, they tested the uh, Roadster uh, in Venice, California, that's where the, uh, Shelby's place was first. He went to Riverside Raceway. Then they built the first Cobra Daytona Coupe. The Daytona Coupe was 20 miles an hour faster down the straightaway. And with that, uh, they said, okay, we're going to build Daytona Coupes to, to race in Europe. They were an incredible car. And everyone loved the sound of the big old V8, American V8 sound. They're used to the Porsche sound and the Ferrari sounds. And uh, the hill clients, people, did, I mean, the people were standing right next to the road. I mean, it's incredible. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, the Tiger Florian, he always knew where the bad corners were coming up, because that's where all the spectators were. <laughs> I ran the Tiger the second time. I drove a Ford GT40 Roadster, <clears throat> and uh, we had some problems with it. Uh, and it had oil on the on the uh, on the pan on, on the floor, and I had to wipe that off. And then. Uh, that co-driver was driving, and the front wheel came off. And uh, <laughs> the Sicilians, they wanted a souvenir, so they took the uh, knockoff. Oh. And uh, someone came, I saw him there, and, and uh, uh, that person was trying to make a piss off. And your, your roadster's <laughs> down on the straightaway with three wheels. And uh, finally, the, the spectators taught the guy and giving him the knockoff back on, put it on the, on, the, on the car, knocked it on with a rock, came back to the pits, and then I took over from there. And that was the last lap. And uh, what happens, 
the roads are very rough. There's potholes and things. They only fill them up uh, two weeks before the race, and they did not have uh, steam rollers like we had. They had uh, steel tampers, so you pound it down with that tamper, and uh, later in the race, that starts coming up. Oh. And uh, it was doing really well. I came on this one corner uh, really quick. And holy Christ, there's uh, gravel all over the road. And I went off the road, hit a kilometer marker uh, head on, and I hit it so hard it broke my seatbelt. And I was up on two wheels, up on the side, almost rolled over on top of me, scrubbed off enough speed, it came down. And uh, I got out of the car and looked, got this Jamie's the old front of the car. But the spectators are exciting. So 10 of them came off that hill right in that same spot and lifted the car, put it back on the road. I said, no, 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 look at the front. And they looked, oh, okay. They picked up, put it back in the ditch. <laughs> <laughs> we got a few minutes left. I got a couple questions. Did you ever have the desire to race IndyCar? Or did you ever drive any Indy cars? Uh, I did that in 1967, but it wasn't a good car, and I went to quality. I got all my practice and all that, and uh, it was good, but we uh, lost the motor uh, just before we went out to qualify at early practice, and I uh, said, do we have another motor? And he said, well, we have a, a new block. I said, oh, God. Hmm. So I never got a chance to really race it. Okay. But I, I, I drove back there. Uh, it was good. But I'm more in tune to do a Grand Prix and a Formula One. I got gotcha. you. That's where my heart was. How about um, in the United States? What were some of the tracks that you really, truly enjoyed to race in the United States? We've got a few more minutes here. I think we've got three minutes left, Bob. See if you can do that. Okay. Uh, Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. It was a fantastic track. Riverside Raceway was my favorite. And uh, Laguna, Laguna was my second favorite. And uh, then we uh, we raced at Sebring. That was good. Daytona was good. And uh, a lot of local tracks. Uh, back then we had uh, uh, tracks. I had airports. And uh, you run on, race on the runways. And uh, Sebring actually is an airport course. And they still race there and they still fly airplanes in. That uh, use a different runway so you don't get run over by an airplane or we don't run over them by a race car. But I, I just love, I love racing. And I've had my school now 44 years. Uh, we've trained uh, just over 400,000 people. I mean, it's amazing. I had my, my bad accident at Watkins Land, another favorite track. Steering broke at 150 miles an hour coming out of the corner. Went off, hit a dirt and back, shut me straight up in the air, took the bottom out of the car, went as high as a telephone pole, and came down and flipped eight times end over end and sideways. And uh, broke my uh, both both feet and almost all the bones, and both feet and ankles broke my legs, and uh, in the hospital. And uh, the doc came in and said, uh, uh, "I said, how soon am I leaving?" He said, "I saw the tail end of your accident, and I thought you were dead, uh, but I put you back together." Uh, I said, "Do you want the good news or bad news?" First, I said, well, for the sound of that, I'll take the good news. Got a minor concussion, because I flipped so many times. And I said, that'll heal fine. You broke three ribs. I said, that's cool. And you broke both legs below your knees, and uh, they'll heal up. Uh, then I cannot allow you to sit up, because you, uh, you broke the bottom uh, part of your spine, and if you sit up, you could become paralyzed. Said, uh, well, I'm in cast, so I'm not sitting up anymore. And he said, the worst thing is you, you broke all the bones in both feet and ankles, and you'll never walk again. That was the height of my racing career. I thought, wow. Oh, well, now what do I do? And I remember teaching James Garner and the other actors for the movie Grand Prix. That felt good to my heart. 
So I asked the nurse to bring me a yellow calendar pad, and I laid there for uh, uh, three or four, four days and wrote how I would do a school, what I needed to do, get sponsorship for cars and uh, parts and tires and all that stuff, put it away, and then concentrated on uh, healing up. But that's how the Bondron School of High Performance Driving started. And I, we, I know we've saved a lot of lives, and we also uh, have uh, we had racing courses, we have high-performance courses, we have the, the best uh, advanced teen course, and we teach the Navy SEALs and a lot of the government. Now, if somebody wants to check out your website, all I have to do to find out more about the racing school is just go to uh, com. right? That's how they get a hold of you? com. Okay. Well, good. Bob, I want to thank you for coming on the radio show, and uh, I'll definitely have you on again. Don't hang up, because we're going to talk to you just after the show here for a few minutes. Everybody else, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Stay safe, drive carefully, love your family, and we'll see you here next week. My guest this evening was Bob Bondron, the legendary 1965 world champion. Thank you.